It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is a gifted writer and artist. Upon reuniting with his maternal birth mother, he learned that she and his grandmother were both artists. He is an adoptee who discovered where he likely, through nature, received his passion for art. His name is Ed Knight, and I encourage you to visit his website at epscottart.com. I met Ed last year through Damon Davis, who hosts the podcast, Who Am I Really? Ed is stepping out of what's comfortable to him by appearing as a podcast guest when invited to do so and joining others to help change adoption laws in the state of Virginia, where he was born. Ed is in his third year of the Master Art Program at Compass Arts in Rockville, Maryland. He has best navigated adoption land by reading books written by adoptees and listening to podcasts. Ed has even started his memoir, though not in a rush to publish it. When Ed and I spoke by phone prior to this recording, he shared with me that finding a metaphor for his adoption story helped him better process his journey. He wrote an essay about it titled Artist Story Talk. He accepted my invitation to read it during this recording. Allow me to introduce you to a graduate of George Washington University with a B.A. in journalism. Ed Knight worked at the Washington Post for many years in the circulation and IT departments, starting as a clerk and ending up as a database administrator. In this episode, he shares a part of what relinquishment and adoption has meant to him. He takes this opportunity to share what one big family looks like from his point of view. Good morning, Ed. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm, I'm well. Thank you. Where are you located in the country? I live in Rockville, Maryland, which is uh, just north of D.C. Wonderful. You having good weather today? Uh, yes, it's very nice. Yeah, it's it, nice. it might be. It look, I mean, it looks nice and sunny. I haven't been out. out. It might be a little cold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sunny where I'm at too, and it's chilly. But yeah, the sun is nice and bright. So, well, I know we're going to have a good time. I had a chance to check out your website and read your essay piece entitled "Artist Story Talk," which I so enjoyed. And I understand that you're going to read it for the audience today. Sure. Well, I'm going to be in an exhibition. It's I've been in a three-year artist program in Rock in Rockville. The students are going to have an exhibition, and there's a possibility that some of us may give a talk. I was thinking, well, what am I going to talk about? And my uh, my thesis is on the topic of my adoption experience, and it's entitled Reunion. So I wanted to make it related to that. Now, I don't know how. It, the art community is going to receive it in general, in general. but my uh, my teacher liked it. I don't know if I'll 
have the opportunity to give it. So at least I'll have an opportunity to give it here on uh, on this podcast. So yes, I'm excited for you to read it. <laughs> I I was so looking forward to that. So I appreciate you sharing with us. Okay, okay. So here goes. Uh, I came up with an analogy or a metaphor. Being relinquished for adoption as a baby, it's like getting your feet amputated. Then being adopted is like getting prosthetic feet. You grow up and you're used to having prosthetic feet. You can do anything and don't feel disabled at all. As an adult adoptee, getting your non-identifying information about your birth parents, it's like getting back your baby feet that have been preserved cryogenically. Obviously, they can't just be reattached. They don't fit anymore. So what some adoptees do is just give their frozen baby feet a burial and move on with their lives. Then you might ask, well, why were my feet amputated as a baby? And then the answer is, each of your feet had a wart on it. And this metaphor, the wart on one baby foot is that my birth mother was unmarried and that was a terrible scandal back then. The wart on the other baby foot is that my birth father was a playboy and wouldn't accept responsibility or provide any support. Wouldn't you think that maybe amputation hadn't been necessary? You could wear socks to hide the warts, or you could embrace your feet, warts and all. But that decision was made for you when you were a baby. You didn't have any say in it. So that's how I feel. I'm not mad at my adoptive parents. They were like the prosthetic feet. They helped me to get where I needed to go. I'm not mad at my birth mother because she did what she thought was best for me. Also, she tried to get me back from foster care, but was told it was too late. In other words, she tried to stop the amputation, but failed because she lacked power. I am mad though. I'm mad at the amputation because it wasn't necessary. So, why don't I just bury my frozen baby feet and move on? Why do I need to keep them in a freezer and open the door to look at them from time to time? Isn't that creepy? This is kind of a creepy metaphor. Just burying my feelings is tempting at times. But I have relationships now. I have relationships with my birth parents. My birth father passed, but I enjoyed our time together. My birth mother is still alive and I enjoy our time together. I enjoy seeing my siblings and niece and nephews. They are a reminder at times of my phantom limb pain, but that's okay. I'd rather have that reminder than give up those family relationships. And maybe with time, those amputated baby feet magically grow. So each year you open the freezer to look at them and they've grown one year larger. And after 18 years, say, they're adult-sized, and they finally fit. So that's sort of how I feel, because each year that I'm in reunion with my biological family, our relationships seem more natural. And there are things that cause growth spurts, like attending family holiday gatherings, weddings, and funerals. So I want to be encouraging for adoptees who are having a tough time with their biofamily reunion because they feel like misfits in their biological family. It gets better, at least that's my experience. So as an artist, having this baggage, it's kind of a gift. For me, painting is cathartic. I have feelings to process 
and my paintings give me a place to pour out those feelings. And that's the end of my talk. So well done. And I, yeah, I so enjoy that. And I think it does paint a really good picture for what many of us as adoptees experience and, and, and kind of think of this whole thing of, of relinquishment and adoption. We met through Damon Davis, the host of Who Am I Really podcast, through an email. And I remember thinking, like, I think I've heard Ed before. Like, I've, I've heard his voice, and you were on his podcast. I believe it was episode 157. And I had an opportunity to listen to it again. And you shared your journey so well on there. And so I got to know you a little bit better uh, listening to it. I know you're a gifted artist and writer. And just for the audience, your website is E.P. Scott. Do you want to share with how you came up with that name? So the website, it's, it's epscottart.com. And I was thinking about, should I keep, keep my, uh, my name, my adoptive name as my artist name? Because some artists do come up with uh, like trade names or artist names. And I decided um, I, 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 I kind of like um, taking a both and approach when it comes to my adoption. I have both my adoptive family and I have my biological family and I have to pick one or, or the other. So it's like I have both identities in a way. And then I have to pick one over the other. They're both part of me. So I decided to honor my biological parents by coming up with an artist name E, I decided to keep my first name the same, which is Edward. And then P is for the first initial of my birth mother's name. And Scott is my birth father's name. That's It's actually his middle name, but he went by Scott. And it's also the last name of his mother. So I have those different ties uh, to my artist name, E.P. Scott. And then people just call me Ed anyway. Um, if people call me Mr. Scott, I'm, you know, at the at the artist reception or something, I might <laughs> I might turn around and say, "Who are they talking to?" But um, I'm going to try to get used to it. <laughs> right, of course. So I had a chance to look at your beautiful pieces, and and then also you learned or discovered in reunion that you come from a family of artists. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I found my my birth mother in uh, 1993. I was 32 years old. We did it through an intermediary. When I got my non-identifying information, it said that my birth mother was an artist. She had been working at the Pentagon as an illustrator, and that's where she met my birth father, who was also um, working at the Pentagon. Um, he was uh, in the Navy, and she was a civilian employee. But anyway, uh, in the in the non-identifying information, it, it said that she had been working as an illustrator. So I thought that was interesting, that because when I had Growing up, I had spent a lot of time uh, drawing. Uh, that was my hobby. Um, and when I was in college, I had considered going into commercial art or graphic design. But I didn't, I didn't, I took a couple of art classes, but I didn't uh, pursue that professionally. When I met my birth mother, I gave her one of the drawings like I had done as a kid. When I was a teenager, I liked drawing characters from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I gave her a drawing that I had done of Lieutenant Aurora. Uh, so she liked that. La later, I found out that her mother was also an artist. Wow. 
she says that her mother was more into crafting, but it's still creative. You right. know, and she did. Her mother did do some landscape painting in retirement. Yes, I think it's so fascinating when we are in reunion and we find mirroring besides just the physical, like how we look like a member of our birth family. We find that the things that we're interested in and like, they also, yeah, did those things. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think I get my a lot of my personality from my birth mother and our brains work very similarly. Right. <laughs> and my people say I look more like my birth father. There's one thing I, I think that I inherited from my birth father was attention to detail. He, people said that he was he had like a passion for details. Like he could go a little bit overboard with details. <laughs> and I, I can be the same way. That helped me in my IT career when I was working with computers because you have to be very detail oriented. So mm-hmm. but I, I think I got that from him. But now that I'm retired, I'm, you know, I'm shifting more to, to using the artistic side that I inherited from my birth mother. Right. And you're currently in your third year of art school. Yeah, I'm getting ready for a thesis show. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm going a little crazy getting ready for the show. <laughs> well, congratulations. And I'm glad you're doing what you enjoy. I think that's so important when we can move into a space that we're passionate about. And certainly art is your lane. <laughs> that's great. I went into this art school. I, I interviewed with the instructor. So it's like it's an atelier. It's a private school. It's not a college. I'll, the instructor, it's like he like, it's like kind of, kind of like a one man show. Um, he's the teacher and uh, he's founded it and everything. He interviewed me before accepting me. And I told him about my adoption experience. And that was something that I wanted to process through my art. And he really liked that idea. So that that's how I came up with my thesis. And it's been very cathartic. I bet. Yeah, and he, he's been behind me the whole way. So uh, I'm really lucky. That's, oh, it's, that thing I was going to say is uh, it's not just art school. It's like art therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, can, I can see that. I love art. Art has always been my thing. I used to draw when I was younger. And, and anything artistic. I love writing. And so you were working on your memoir, right? Yeah, I've been working on it in fits and starts. What I've been doing lately, I'm not really working on the text that much. I've, I've been working on a PowerPoint. I like I've, I've collected a lot of photographs. I haven't shared the PowerPoint with anyone yet, but um, maybe I will at some point. I wanted to kind of come up with a timeline that shows when um, this is maybe the detail oriented side of me, but uh, like my adoptive parents and my biological parents and me and my adoptive sister and I have one adopted sibling, a sister, and then my three biological siblings I have. I don't have any siblings on my mother's side. I have three on my birth father's side, uh, two sisters and a brother. And I'm, I'm trying to like come up with like a timeline like um, for what's what was going on in our, all of our lives at the same time, you know, mm-hmm. um, when we were separated by adoption, you know, right. so like these parallel universes going on, you're trying to piece together. So it's, it's very, when I do that, it's, it's very introspective. I kind of enjoy that sort of thing. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. And in my, in my artwork, I'm also doing something similar where I took a 
photo of my birth mother circa 1970 and a photo of me circa 1970 um, when I was to age myself. I was nine years old in 1970. Um, <laughs> she was about 34. Anyway, I had to find the right photographs of us at the right ages. So um, I used those as my source material. And then I, I did a portrait of her and a portrait of myself, kind of superimposed, kind of translucent. But they were kind of linked, you know, we're kind of like spiritually linked, but even though I wasn't there during that part. Uh, we weren't in reunion, you know, when I was a kid, obviously. Right. Yeah, that's so creative. Would you say that you had a healthy childhood growing up? I had some issues with anxiety, um, but I don't know. It's probably, in retrospect, kind of a normal childhood. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but my adoptive father was very concerned. I did act out a bit. So my adoptive parents, they told me that I was a, I was not a late discovery adoptee. I mean, they told me when I was six. I think they had told my older sister she was adopted when she was six, maybe. Uh, they told me that I was adopted, and I didn't really react to it in a negative way. I'm not sure I really understood. They had the kind of the typical thing that adoptive parents tell their children or told their adoptive children was um, your uh, natural mother gave you up so you could have a better life. Mm -hmm. I took it pretty well, but I did have some behavioral issues, and I don't know if it's related to that. I think when I, was, I was around nine years old. I broke a pack of pencils because I was having, years ago I was having a temper tantrum. My adoptive parents talked to me and my adoptive father asked me, why did I break the pencils? That was destructive. I said it was because I felt nervous and I, because I didn't have the word for anxiety, I guess. He suggested that my adoptive mom take me to a, a child psychiatrist. So she did that. He put me on some medication. I think it was called benzodiazepine. Was he able to determine what you were anxious about? I'm sure he interviewed me, but it's been so such a long time ago. I right. don't really remember a lot of details. I remember that my adoptive mother didn't didn't like him because he had long hair. He was like a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> so she had kind of a superficial reaction. I just don't remember the details of our therapy conversation, but it didn't last for long. I mean, we, I thought some maybe a couple of sessions. But then looking I back. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I wanted to say I developed hand tremors. So my adopted mother told me to I could stop seeing the psych. I, I could go off the medication and stop seeing the psychiatrist who she didn't like anyway because mm -hmm. of the hand tremors. Right. So it didn't last for very long. But looking back, have you have you been able to connect it to relinquishment and adoption? You know, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I've certainly been trying. I've I've been kind of analyzing myself and analyzing that maybe overanalyzing it. I, th I think it very well could have to do with it. I mean, in recent years, it took me a long time to get to this point, but in recent years, I read the book, uh, The Primal Wound uh, by Nancy Newton Verrier and another one, Coming Coming Home to Self, I think is the other one. Mm -hmm. She wrote. Yeah. So, um, it took there... me eight years to finish Coming Home to Self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a tough one. Yeah. But it's and, good. I mean, it's really some good good information in there. Yeah. Uh, so she talks about separation trauma. And I think it could be traumatic, not just for the adoptee, but also for the birth mother. I think it's like a shared trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the answer is, yeah, it's probably related. It could also be partly genetic. 
because I'm looking at when I look at my um, my birth mother's mother had some issues where she had nervous breakdowns, and my birth mother's father had some phobias related to heights. So it could be partly that, could be partly genetic. But anyway, I feel like I've got it under control. I mean, well, that's I'm, I'm, good. Doing, I'm, I'm doing things that are outside of my comfort zone, which I think is showing that I'm growing. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing this interview. <laughs> I was yesterday, I, I did a, a very brief public speaking, but it was public speaking at this um, event. Uh, it was it was on Zoom. I was speaking in favor of a House bill in the Virginia legislature. I was speaking in favor of adult adoptees access to our original birth certificates. Wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. And there were several of us who spoke in favor and nobody spoke against it. Now, it's still early in the process. It's just got reported out of a subcommittee. Then it goes to a general committee and then it'll go to if it gets out of the general committee, then it gets passed over to the state Senate. So it's not the bill is not out of the woods yet, but I'm cautiously optimistic. And, I, and I've been working with uh, Greg Luce and it's a very it's an informal group. We have a working title of the Virginia Adoptee Rights Working Group. Mm, that's <laughs> um, fantastic and been, news. And we've been sending emails back and forth and um yeah. And chatting on Zoom and that sort of thing. I'm so, so happy uh, that's to how, hear that's how that. I, that's how I learned about the uh, the new bill, and hopefully it'll stay a clean bill, and then I'll be able to get someday. I'll be able to get my original birth certificate. Oh, that be nice. That is fantastic news. Really great news to hear in the community. Yeah, I I wish all the states would open the records so that adoptees can have their original birth certificate. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's so archaic, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's like really, uh, we we're talking about it, and I, I didn't say this in the session, in the meeting, but in chatting, the system seems really draconian, the, the way that uh, everything was sealed, and then, you know, the way things were, I was never supposed to know any of my biological parents, you know, I wasn't supposed to know any of my heritage, you know, right. I, I might, I might have been in the, uh, I might have known my a bit about my family medical history because my birth mother did uh, was interviewed by social workers and they collected her family medical history but i don't know if that was ever really passed on to my adoptive parents and then my if it was my adoptive parents never shared it with me right (laughs) So so and then and then it gets stale it gets out of date so that's why you know so there's that family medical history component too I want to talk a little bit about more about your reunion because I know that you have a really good relationship with your birth mom. You want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I uh, contacted her through the, the state of Virginia. They have this inter- intermediary system. It was back in 1993. And she was very welcoming to me. Uh, first, we exchanged letters. Then we exchanged phone calls. And then that weekend I drove down at the time she lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. So I drove down there and I met her and her husband after she and my birth father split up. She uh, remarried. We had a good reunion after a few years, we kind of lost touch. And I think that that was partly it was just human error. Either she didn't give me her forwarding address or um, I misplaced it. 
but I think I think adoption fog was also part of it, where I was just thinking like, I need to be loyal to my adoptive mother. You know, my you know I don't want to hurt my adoptive mother's feelings, and you know that was kind of it's like okay, well we lost touch, but you know it's too bad, but I didn't make too much of it. But then um, after my adoptive parents passed away, my adoptive father died in 2010, and my adoptive mother died in 2015. Then I felt like, oh, I I do have these biological parents that I've kind of forgotten about. Right. Um, so let me let me look for them. You know. So let me try to find my birth mother again. So I did a, an internet search, and I found her, and it, it was pretty easy to reconnect with her. And I just kicked myself that I hadn't thought of that sooner. And we picked up where we left off, um, and we didn't have any hard feelings. And since the, ever since then, our relationship's been going really strong. Um, and she also she had given me the name of my birth father, so I, I did an internet search for him also, and I found he was living with his wife in on the eastern shore of Virginia. So I called that number just to kind of a cold call, which was terrifying. <laughs> his wife answered, and she was friendly. She was a little guarded, but she called her daughters. One of her daughters suggested DNA tests, so I did the DNA test, and it came back. It confirmed that he was my father. And ever since then, I've been in a relationship with them, too. He had some Alzheimer's, but he, he was conversational, and he was also very chatty. He seemed a friendly person. He was a little confused because of the Alzheimer's. I don't know. It, it really sunk in that I was his biological son. But he loved chatting with me, and I loved hearing his stories. That was kind of a special time in my life that I got to share with my birth father, learning about his life, which was um, – he had a, led a very interesting life, a lot more interesting than mine. But he passed away in 2018. And my birth mother, she was living in North Carolina in a retirement community. She was having difficulty driving. Well, I had I had planted the seed in her head that, you know, why don't you move up to Maryland with me and I'll be able to help drive you places. And she resisted it for a while, but eventually she agreed. And in 2020, I think, she moved to Maryland. Now she's moved to, into a community, a retirement community in Frederick, and my husband and I are moving to the same community. We put a deposit on an apartment that's under construction in a new wing, and we're going to be moving into the same community this fall. So wow. then I'll be living in the same community with my birth mother. That's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, I loved hearing that in your journey, and, and I'm sorry that your birth father past and I'm glad he was chatty. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think his his family, I mean they loved him very much, but they they didn't necessarily talk to him that much because they you know they knew his story. Right. I mean they, they did talk to him about, you know, day to day things, but he, he really enjoyed sharing a story with me. Right. So and I enjoyed listening to it. So I'm um, glad you got that experience. Yeah, before he passed. That's yeah. That's good. And and I'm glad you shared um that part, a little part of your reunion. Um because, you know, reunions look all kinds of different ways for adoptees and I think your story does give hope and, and just how you have been for your birth mom, willing to help her. I just find that really endearing. Yes. She's very introverted, and that's where I get my introverted gene from. 
but uh, and my birth father is more friendly and outgoing, so I'm kind of in the middle. I'm, I am introverted. I'm not quite as introverted as she is, but right. she gets chatty when she's in the court. When I'm driving her to doctor's appointments or whatever, that's when she gets chatty. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's really cool. We're going to switch gears just a little bit, and I, I want to know your thoughts about what's been like really maybe challenging being connected to the adoptee community the adoption community? Has there been any challenges? Gosh, I don't know. I Well, I think my challenge was adoption fog, and it kind of prevented me from connecting with adoptee community, adoption community. Mm-hmm. But in recent years, like since 2015, I've re- I started reading books, and I joined a support group, an adoptee support group, for a few months, maybe six months. I got into the podcasts, uh, which I think are wonderful, and your podcast uh, as well, yours and Damon's and others. But in terms of what's challenging, well, I think a lot of us are dealing with trauma and maybe that kind of complicates things. It, I think it complicates our family relationships. I guess it could complicate friendships. Adoptees, we may have issues that are impacting even our friendships with other adoptees, but I think I've been pretty lucky. Um, so I haven't had any major challenges. I'm really fortunate uh, with the adoptive community that I found. That's good. Yeah, that's good to hear. And thank you for the kind words about podcasts. Shout out to all the podcasters that give adoptees a platform to share their stories and to be heard and seen. I think it's important. Yeah, I think it is important. Also, I think it's evidence that uh, adoption or that separation is traumatic, you know, Mm -hmm. because otherwise... Why would adoptees, why would we need to tell our stories over and over again? It's to get it out of our systems. If there weren't some trauma there, then it, we wouldn't feel the need to to get it out of our systems. We wouldn't need that catharsis. So um, I think it is very important. Yeah, I agree with that. And the true narrative, you know, so for so long, the narrative has been centered on adoptive parents, I'd say. And now we get to to be centered in the conversation because I'm, I'm around your age and the sixties was a time of you know, a lot of shame and secrecy. And, and I think that now by speaking out, speaking up, taking center stage, so to speak as adoptees, uh, the truth can come out of what our lived yeah. experience is. Yeah. I think it's good to document it too, um, mm-hmm. because it, it is an era that is passing away. So, Younger generations increasingly are going to have a hard time understanding the baby scoop era <laughs> and why things were the way that they were. So I'm mm. feeling optimistic towards the future, but it's still, even even with open adoption, there are still issues with it. You know, there's still trauma attached to it, but, but I do think things are getting better. I'm pretty optimistic. I think sometimes things take time, just like the information you shared about the legislation in Virginia. States are opening the record slowly, a little too slowly, I think, but they are changing. The laws are changing. And so we just have to stay the course. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I, I, I would recommend um, uh, Gregory Luce's organization, his website is Adoptees United. I, maybe I shouldn't say it's his organization. I mean, I, I don't know if he wants to be identified as he, well, I think he is the leader of it. I think but, he is um, too. And I can definitely put him in the uh, show notes. I think he'd like that. 
yeah, he's been very helpful. I'm not really a leader in the in the group. I'm kind of tagging along, maybe trying to be a worker bee or something. But there are other people who have been helpful too, either meeting with legislators, submitting written testimony. I'm glad I'm participating and I feel like I'm doing my part. Yeah, because all of it counts. Everybody's participation counts and is important. I think it's healing for us as individuals and as a whole, as a community at large. So, yeah, I'm glad you're doing that and you're stepping out of your comfort zone, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that bill will get passed this year. If not, then uh, hopefully it'll get passed. I sure hope it does. (laughs) So what's been the most rewarding thing about being connected? It sounds like you really answered that already. (laughs) Being able to, to speak up to get laws changed and yeah, play your part. Anything else? I think that's about it. I know that being an artist and a writer, at some point you discovered your talent. Would you say that was in your toolbox as a little person? Because I was kind of introverted and I didn't play as much with other kids. It upset my adoptive parents because they wanted me to be more outgoing they were extroverted and they didn't understand introverts and you know they met well <laughs> but i spent a lot of time by myself drawing i did quite a bit of reading too science fiction yeah it's just something i i inherited from my from my birth mother evidently you know right. well i really have enjoyed this conversation with you and i don't know if there's something i didn't ask you that you want to share in closing yeah, I can't think of anything else to to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, hope that thank you, you thank you for thank you for putting up with my rambling. Oh no, you, this is this is you've been fine. You're fine, and I just look forward to you participating even more, like having conversations on other podcasts and and just continuing to be a part of the community in ways that support you while simultaneously helping others. Because so far, that's what I get from from what you're doing, which you've already stepped up to do. So we appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you, too. Yeah, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I was a little bit, um, a little bit out of it today, but um, hopefully it will come out okay. <laughs> It was wonderful to hear that Virginia is moving closer to having the adoption laws changed to allow adoptees born there the right to request their original birth certificate. And I look forward to all 50 states having open records. Every single person that plays a part in legislative efforts, I applaud. Being able to partake in something that we are passionate about is meaningful. And Ed is certainly proof that it's never too late. He is using his artistic creativity as a form of therapy. And I find it useful when an adoptee can identify what is helping them to heal. It is often through the art world that we help ourselves and others. I love the project he is working on of a timeline in the lives of his birth family of what was going on in each of their lives at the same time when they were separated by adoption. Ed's saying he takes the both-and approach when it comes to his adoption makes me think that he remains open to the possibilities in reunion with biological family members 
while still embracing his adoptive family. Each time he speaks of his birth mother, I sense the care and concern he has for her well-being, even though at one time there was a lapse in their relationship. It is often the case that things slow down or stop, but can and do pick back up in reunion with biological family members. Thank you, Ed, for having this conversation with me. I'm thrilled that you are eager to be connected to our community by sharing your journey. I never know who needs to hear your story and your perspectives. I believe you have given other adoptees like me great ideas of how to blend our talents with the things we enjoy and then share them with the world. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGolston.com. Thank you so much for being here.